Welcome to Careers Unplugged, the weekly show connecting you to secrets of career success. Careers Unplugged is hosted by Rich Sayer and Stu Hayes and proudly sponsored by the Master of Me coaching program. If you feel being happy, committed and passionate about your career is important, you are in the right place. My name's Rich Sayer and I'm here with the fabulous co-founder of Careers Unplugged and the Master of Me coaching program, Stuart Hayes. Stuart, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Rich. How's things? I'm, um, I'm busy and productive. Thank busy you and for, productive? Thank you that's, for asking. That's actually the, the perfect way to kick off the week, wouldn't you think? I'm enjoying it. Fulfilled, happy, productive? Yes. Yes, I think I've, I've ticked all those boxes. And this week's a big week for us. We've got the Wellness Summit uh, coming up, all that sort of thing. So uh, it is. it's a good week to be productive. Mm. Agreed. Why don't you tell us about today's guest? I'm looking forward to. So our special guest this week is a third-generation family business owner who spent the majority of her career in the corporate banking and finance sectors, initially in Germany and then Australia. But with this background, and this is amazing really when you, when you understand this sector, so with her background from family business and also banking, but with the full understanding of the complexities and challenges of family business, she was attracted to accept a managing director appointment of governance specialists Amplify Governance. And her motivation here really is that she is passionate and committed to trying to get good governance into family businesses so that they can continue to support our whole community in the way that they do. Mm. So here with us on Careers Unplugged this week to talk about family business and moving countries being a female managing director, and there is absolutely not enough of them in this country, and even potentially field hockey, it is my great pleasure to welcome to Careers Unplugged, Susanna Bransgrove. Thank you, Stuart. Hi, Richard. How are you? Hey, Suze. Excellent. Thank you for having me today. I really appreciate that. Let's just You're clear up the field hockey thing, because that was just oh. thrown in at the end there. What's the <laughs> go with was. that? I, I'm, I'm on the outer. Tell me all about You're the field the hockey outer. thing. Well, Rich oh, used to whack, whack it around a bit, didn't you? I school. did. I did. I played a little bit. And, and field hockey, that's right. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Was it, was it a passion? It still is a passion. I played National League in my younger years in Germany, actually, and continue to play, although I have to admit now it's more at master level uh, for part of the year, but still you go first up, division. You go up to yes, Al- Albury and all that sort of thing for the big... The big playoffs? No, not all the time. <laughs> but it is still a passion of mine. It's great to actually um, finish a work week sometimes by chasing a small white ball around and uh, leaving all the aggression on the field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a, I have a next-door neighbour who, who's, who's very, very keen and wants to be an Olympian and, uh, with field hockey, and, and um, we're encouraging her as much as we can. It's, um, it's a great, great sport. Anyway... That's not why you're here. Tell, tell us about the early days, the, the family business. and It's quite fascinating growing up in a family business. So our family bought the existing business uh, when my grandfather finished in the Second World War, so back in 1945. The business has been around since about 1644. So obviously I'm taking you all back to my German days because there wouldn't be too many businesses here in Australia. <laughs> yes, a, indeed. Crikey, so three generations. When I said three generations, it's actually more like about 300 generations. Well, in our family, (laughs) 
but we live for a very long time. We yeah, don't. yeah. No, what, what are you drinking in you the water over there? Two hundred and thirty. You know, <laughs> those Germans, I tell you. Um, no, we have had it in our family since nineteen forty-five. So we bought it off the existing family or the founding family because there was only, as you would expect, in, in any world war that is fought in, in your area, people tend to not survive that particularly well. So there was only one remaining family member at that point in time, and my grandfather bought it then. So being the typical good patriarch that we would expect, he ruled the business with an iron fist, and my father really did no different. So we had two patriarchs in the business, and much to my father's delight, uh, there now are two women in the next generation, and he has to <laughs> have a think about how this is going to work out for him. <laughs> so are they still running it, your folks, are they? Is it? Well, my grandfather is dead now, uh, but my father still is, and me being in another country makes this very, very interesting and difficult, and I think when you have a look at the complexities of taking a family business through generations, when you have family members either not suitable or or suitable or perhaps not even in the same country, Mm. it makes it very clear that conversation and communication amongst different generations and people who think differently is critical to actually secure the survival of, of this business within the family. And so that is what drives my passion, I guess, because I have heard the conversations, I understand how important the community and the staff and um, the suppliers and the clients and the family actually is to those who operate the family business. And family businesses keep this country or any country alive when corporate is starting to shut down and they're not particularly well supported. No. So did you, did you sort of start off your working life um, working in the family business? Yes, I, I did a lot of really great bit of admin. Pieces of, <laughs> pieces of admin things. I actually started off when I was much younger and my dad would take me into the business when I was about eight years old and I would spend a lot of time. You remember the old um, calculators that had the paper ribbons coming oh, yeah. through? Yeah. Yeah, I would randomly type up numbers and then rip it off and then add them all up in my head, also manually, because that, I found that very exciting. So, <laughs> so that's how I started off. Now you business. are aware this is being recorded to go oh, live to air, aren't you? <laughs> yes, it's very, very embarrassing, but I have to say I found the concept of adding numbers up quite exciting. Um, so that's pretty sad. But apart from that, I spent school holidays in the business. Um, I'd learn about what the business was about. What was the business? What, what, in what industry? It's involved in the shipping industry. It's in a sector that is not particularly large any longer, but it's realistically to do with uh, controlling what goes in and on ships and creating logs to make sure that when you pay for your bill of lighting, you actually get the goods you've ordered and that they're in the right condition and that you also know how how the best way would be to actually stow items on the boat so it doesn't capsize. So there's a lot of logistics that goes into that. Wow. Container shipping has taken some of that away, but there are still items such as cars and wool, steel that need to still be stowed and, and also counted correctly. That's fascinating. Hmm. That's extraordinary. So what, what happened then? You've, you've obviously um, um, taken your passion for uh, calculator bits of paper and adding things up in your head and decided that, that there was something in that and, and what presumably gone to university and then off into banking. <laughs> There's obviously something here with numbers. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting the trend um, here. There's a trend. <laughs> My mother was actually very disappointed because she made me have Latin in school for eight years, which is a requirement in Germany to be able to study law and medicine, and I ended up a banker. So you can see how disappointing this would have been for her over time. But um, yes, has always been my passion. I, I love the banking sector. 
Uh, I did my, we actually have a different education system. So we go to the bank and work and we also attend university two mornings a week. It's a very integrated model, which means not only do you get all the theory, but you actually get to experience banking in all areas. It's very well organized. That would, would be expected, I guess. And you get and paid. You end up, yes, you get paid, which is even better. And uh, when you finish after two or three years, you actually have the ability to stay in the banking sector, take on any role that you would like, and you are very well connected and, and understand how it actually all fits together. So I finished my banking and finance education and did what everybody would do, which is leave the country and not do anything with it, which is a very, very smart <laughs> thing to do, really, isn't it? <laughs> Just when you build Met up somebody. that wonderful network, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, they might have heard about your um, childhood habits with calculators. Yeah. And just, <laughs> She's a lady away from it all huh? for a while. <laughs> this is actually where the hockey link comes in, Richard, really, because I met my back to my ex-husband playing hockey at the time. He was from Australia and he promised me, come to Australia with me and the weather there is much, much better. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll have a ball. Something like that. Yeah. And um, so going through... The journey then of sort of leaving the the nest, so to speak, and the the, the family business, and going into the banking sector, was there discomfort at the time in terms of you know the family sort of saying were they encouraging you to go that direction? Obviously, mum wanted you to be a doctor, but so that was some <laughs> encouragement to go in a different direction. But was there some sort of you know discomfort of? of not being hands-on in the family business at that time for them? It's really quite fascinating because at the time it didn't really occur to me that our family business was going to be part of my future. Yeah. And I think this is a problem that we're seeing a lot in family businesses even today where current the current generation is complaining about the next generation not actually having any interest in that business. And the reality is, is if you do not have conversations on a regular basis, if you do not share your values and your passion on an emotional level, not just on a work experience level, it's going to be unlikely for you to inspire the next generation to continue making a difference and to be part of your journey. Mm. So that is part of what drives my passion is, is to actually enable the commun communication and conversation so that this doesn't happen to other families as well because I think would I have understood better um, – what my, my parents or my father's and my grandfather's passion and their values were and how I was going to be part of this going forward, perhaps I would have made a different decision at that time. I, mean, I have a few friends that have uh, fairly humble family businesses, but, you know, they've got their next generation all working, well, nearly all working in the business. And, uh, and I can see this particular friend of mine working quite hard at, at trying to create roles for his son and, and daughter that are different and defined and giving them responsibilities and so on. And, and then, of course, not being responsible to him but making his wife responsible for them, <laughs> which is <laughs> critical to his own personal happiness. Um, is, that, is that normal, though? Like, you know, you've got, you've got this idea, I guess, of ownership, of passing, oh, this will be yours. When, when I go, this will all be yours, Suzanne. You know, that sort of thing versus actually we need these different roles to be done and someone's going to be engaged to fulfil those roles. And then how does that play out? You know, obviously there's staff and then there's owner-operators. Is that difficult? Do you find that difficult in that sort of family environment? 
I found the word you use quite fascinating because you talk about ownership and ownership and when you have conversations around ownership mm. creates a sense of entitlement and that is entitlement for role, entitlement for shareholding, entitlement to get something out of something that your family has created. Yeah. My preference is to actually talk about stewardship and custodianship mm. and create a level of uh, responsibility around that you're only going to be in that position for some time and that you should continue to create something for generations to come. And that fundamentally also you haven't got an entitlement, you have a role to fulfill and to be able to do that, you need to be able to fit in is probably the best way to put that, which is educating yourself and as a, just being responsible as an owner and as a, as a shareholder, as a family member, and, and respecting those people who've actually been there to create the business, whether it's from a staff perspective or from a previous generation perspective, or whether that's the community around you who's been supporting you. And I think that is a very difficult conversation and communication to actually get right. Mm. So need, a little bit, little bit of thought needs to actually be put into that. Mm. I like Susanna, it. just um, I'm just curious. You've you've come from Germany. You've you've uh, been attracted across by a hockey playing um, bronze teacher, bloke. <laughs> teacher, teacher. <laughs> and Mathematics teacher, you've you've, you've come with uh, a passion for numbers. You, you've qualified as a banker. How tough is it to break into a profession like banking when you don't have a network in a country that you've shifted to? It's not an easy thing to do, I have to admit that. In particular with the education that I've had, and that included 13 years of schooling because we just like to do things that little bit better, plus the education <laughs> in the banking sector. Two world wars and one world cup, isn't it? Not enough apparently, so I need to do things a bit differently. I was having some real issues actually breaking into banking or work to start off with uh, in particular. So the only role I could get was uh, as a part-time teller at ANZ Bank back in those days. And I felt completely overqualified, to be quite honest, but nobody actually cared about this. There was this young woman speaking with a strange accent complaining about being overqualified. Didn't really, <laughs> <laughs> didn't really, I didn't really get any sympathy from anybody. It's strange. I think it, uh, you, know, you come to the realisation that when you make a decision to move countries and when you enter into a new space, you will take some time to adjust and it, it takes time to create new networks and you need to also understand the culture and how people do business in the space that you're now in. So it's about taking a step back and reevaluating and just letting go of what you've had and looking at applying your skill to going forward. So that took me a little while to get my head around, uh, but once I did, I did progress into the into the different roles within the ANZ at the time quite quickly, found a full-time role, and I'm not going to talk to you about all the different mistakes I've made on a, on a language perspective because of, of those there are plenty and uh, you know, I'm much to everybody else's delight. Um, <laughs> Amusement, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all that. <laughs> and it was also important to go back to university here, actually, um, because that was one thing that I found that didn't really matter what I've done before. I needed to equip myself to be able to move forward in this culture, in this environment, and with these requirements. So you can have a guess what next degree I completed. Well, given there's numbers, I'm thinking uh, mathematics or uh, worse, law, primary school teaching, 
Oh. <laughs> it doubled my Jane accounting. Come on. Rocky. <laughs> of course. Of course. It seemed to be the logical thing to do. I love numbers. There was, you know, lot, lots of multi guess in those exams. It was really quite good. So I was a mature age student, uh, still working. I never really got to have any of the Togo Party fun. I had, didn't even know they existed. I was never invited, I think, actually. Um, so I worked my it's way not too through late. that. It's not too late. <laughs> you think I should go back to uni and have another go? Maybe medicine this time around. Good things just, coming through. Either that or just loiter out the front wearing a sheet and see what attention you get. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably not a bad idea. Speaking yeah. in Latin. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a little with while. Calculator rolls. Just, you know. <laughs> yeah, really impressed people with that. That's a, it's a skill, I'm telling you. Um, I actually do quite a bit of mentoring sometimes and I have been on a number of occasions with people who have been in the same position, have moved countries, finding it hard to adjust and how to actually manage uh, letting go of, of as said, your expectations and actually moving forward. So it's been an interesting journey, an interesting um, experience, building networks, finding your way, building friendship, also being accepted in your new hockey team when I was, <laughs> I was playing my way and they were playing their way. Not easy Can sometimes. Can just explore something you've, you've mentioned there? We've had a, we had a guy, Marshall Thurber, on the show recently um, and he talked about the concept of setting goals to move forward but then letting go of the goal, um, so letting go of that attachment. You mentioned letting go of expectations. Hmm. Um, you know, is that, is that been a thing that's continued in other parts of life now for you? That, you know, you sort of, you're out there, you're moving forward, but you're sort of letting go of this precise destination and you, you're just going to go with the flow? It is very much something that's been much more part of how I now operate. Admittedly, when I was working in, in corporate and corporate banking and I've moved through into, into Macquarie Bank at some point, when you're caught up in a, in a framework of a corporate ladder climbing, I think you get very caught up in direction, expectation, detail, uh, and, and how it should be pan, pan out. I think to a certain extent, as a, as a culture, we're all trained to stand in the queue and climb up a ladder because that's how, how things are done. And once you move outside of that space, it changes how you think and you become more fluent around um, accepting other, other options and opportunities and, and letting go of that absolute structure to make, make room for mm. agility, flexibility, creativity, all the different things that influence on you without getting hung up on what you might have thought might have been your way. I've, I've learned at some point that what you think your destination is is probably not exactly what you what you thought it was going to be. So if you don't have the ability to let go, you're going to be very disappointed <laughs> quite a bit. I, for yeah. example, thought I wanted to take, you know, this is what I want to do and I climbed the ladder and I got there and I looked down and I went, I don't really like this. Now, if I didn't let go of where I thought I wanted to be in life, I'd, I'd be very miserable right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed when I think about um, leaving a already built up family business uh, Chasing a chasing an Aussie teacher across to the other side of the planet uh, <laughs> because he's a hockey player. Uh, no, I'm teasing. Um, you've you've made a lot of decisions uh, around change. You know, you you've obviously become comfortable with change, and making those decisions. I mean, moving country is a big decision for anyone. Um, have you had moments where you've regretted it, or you found it hard, or you know, some dark times? Where you've sort of gone, what have I done? And you know, how did I, I think? How did I get myself to this position? <laughs> I think we always come across some points in our lives where, when things are tough, where we 
tend to try to look back at where we've come from. And this is actually, once again, very much in line with letting go of things. Uh, one thing to understand is that whatever you've left behind will also have moved on and changed. Mm. So actually looking back and thinking, what did I leave behind and why did I make this decision is probably not going to do you any good. Because even if you did try to go back to it, it you're, won't be. You're a different person and it's a different time, yeah. Yeah, and the people you've left behind, the locations you've left behind, the work you've left behind, everything will have moved on. Things will never be the same. So it's about actually looking at what you've learned out of it and what the positives are and actually just making that part of your next steps. And and if you don't actually take the time to reflect, and, and sometimes it's good, it's also good to miss things because when you miss things or when you look back and you wish there was still some of that, you know what was appealing to you within that framework and you might be able to actually aspire to elements of that and what you're creating or where you're going next. So do you think by missing things it's actually touching on gratitude? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I like that. It's a, it's a nice way of looking at it. Career highlights, Susan? Career highlights. Well, I think Macquarie Bank was a bit of a career highlight and that's really interesting because people think, oh, it's just because it was Macquarie. But I think the pace at which that organisation moves and how you have to think um, really created a different way for me to to approach work and to approach a lot of different ways to actually look at look at the world. Um, they are very, or they were very innovative com- you know, organisation at the time, and they still are, and encouraged thinking that was outside the boxes people like to put and coming up with new solutions and being creative thinkers rather than actually being caught up in how it's always been. And that's the first time really that I've been able to use what, what, I've, what I've got in my head in a way that was going to be facilitating change where I was. So that was definitely a highlight. Have you had anyone here that's in Australia that's been a mentor to you through this whole oh, I'm in a new place, I don't understand all the cultural implications, I don't have my network and, oh, darn, I have to go back to uni. Um, have you had anyone come along and sort of guide you and say, look, if you go and do this, this will create this opportunity or, or, or other forms of mentoring? Interestingly enough, um, I'm actually just about to engage my first mentor. I haven't actually had a mentor until now. I do tend to build very strong relationships with people and take a lot out of the conversations, whatever the conversation might be, and seem to have the ability to actually reflect and take that on board and then make something with that or create something with that and or look at a different path and learn something from it. So I guess when you look at it from that perspective, there are probably a whole lot of people out there who've mentored me and they just didn't know it. <laughs> now, Susanna, you actually mentioned or um, you sort of referred earlier that you sort of have mentored people a little bit. Um, yep. Indeed. And also, just before we, were, we started this call, actually, um, we were talking about how you often um, assist people, particularly women, to find how they could get onto boards, of, become a board of directors uh, member or uh, indeed become a managing director of a company. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? There are a lot of conversations that I tend to have with women who are ambitious and a lot of them it's around career management and career management in a positive way 
from my experience, having worked in, in the corporate sector for many years, I find that, as you might know, women tend to go about uh, work in a very different way and how they manage their careers to, to men. We tend to be very quiet and just assume that when we do our work very well, then we get rewarded at the end. And one thing I had to learn is that unless you jump up and down, which is generally what the men do best, you're probably not going to get the outcomes that you really were looking for. So I spent a lot of time trying to get people to understand, in particular actually in the corporate banking sector, to reflect on where they've come from and what their past is because that really informs where they are at today and what they're all about and what they stand for. And once you understand what you stand for, what you're really passionate about, you will probably make better decisions around where you're going to go next. And when you identify what next steps actually fit within your values and what you stand for, it's important to actively manage that and work with the people around you who you rely on to have the conversations in a positive manner, which means actually sharing where you want to go, sharing what you expect, sharing what you're willing to give for that, and then manage this through on a quarterly basis, for example, to actually get to the review point in a positive way and achieving goals rather than getting there after 12 months and not getting what you've asked for. Because trying to make a change at that point in time is always going to be from a negative standpoint. Um, now for so for take... the listeners, um, just, uh, just to, sorry to catch you off there, Susanna. That's okay. Um, Susanna is actually going to provide her suggestions, her top suggestions as to how you might go about becoming a managing director, um, particularly as a, as a woman in Australia. And we, we certainly support that because there's no doubt there's not enough managing directors as women. Um, so thank you, Susanna. If you want to grab that, listeners, just go to careersunplugged.com and uh, check out Susanna's interview and you'll find the download will be placed there for you. Fantastic. Thanks. So it comes back down to so even on boards, um, supporting women in, in having the confidence to go to board interviews and understanding that when they've been put forward for a role, there's a reason for that. Um, and also managing the education concepts as to how they're actually going to get there. We're all talking about diversity and making more opportunities available, but often it's actually women themselves who, who just do not have the confidence to um, take on those roles and, and, and grab them realistically and, and just run with it. So it's about the confidence. It's about managing it. It's about setting expectations on yourself and on others to actually support you in that. And finding a mentor, as you said, I actually, looking back now, I think there would have been many opportunities when a more formal mentoring process would have been very helpful for me. Susanna, what would be your number one goal now? My number one goal now is to support as many family businesses as I can mm. through, through Amplify Governance to actually have a more sustainable future, take them through the transition and, and their continuity issues with next family members and get as many family businesses stable and surviving and profitable and thriving as I possibly can. That's a wonderful goal. And based on that, what would be your gold nugget? You've you've had a a, a journey. You've uh, had a bit of a roller coaster like like us all, and had to uh, have some highs and lows to get to where you <laughs> are. What would be the the gold nugget for the listeners that you'd like to share with them? The gold nugget on all of the things that I've been going through. That's always going to be a good one. Um, I think. And you've touched really, on some really nice points there. With yeah, that, trying to summarise them to a yeah, certain extent. Ca- I think you know, communication, custodianship, sense of entitlement. Yeah. You know. 
I think communication really is, is everything and is the key, whether it is around families, whether it is around career planning, whether it is about managing relationships of any kind, actually facilitating the right communication and understanding when you might need some help around that is, is a very, very good thing. I, I do find that's probably one of the keys to everything um, moving forward and actually improving any environment is to get that piece right. And there are different people who can help with that. It's just about not being shy and not being ashamed to understanding that you're not always the best person to have a conversation or to drive the conversation with people you're having conflict with or where you're trying to achieve something that's a bit difficult to to paint the, the right picture or journey for that. And, and given your goal, tell the listeners a little bit more about Amplify and how they can help how Amplify can help family businesses to go to the next level? So the way we look at family businesses and we talked about um, communication and how communication is key, there are really two areas in the family business where you communicate to achieve different outcomes. The one is on the on the business side, and of course that would happen in the in a board concept, which is the best way to facilitate communication in a strategic and logical manner, make mm. good decisions and make sure it's implemented. On the other hand, you have of course the family governance, as we call it, or the family side where the there's decision making around what the business means to the family, what the family members need, what they want, and and that actually ties together. We only do one side of this. We have a passion around creating the right business governance structures. And the reality is that most families or their businesses actually do have a board, but it's generally not used correctly. So um, our take is if the board's role is to strategically deliver to the family what the family needs from the business, you need to have some independence on that mm. to facilitate what the family wants and actually do this on behalf of all family members, whether they're on the board or not. Mm. Now, you think about that. You have a family business. They're quite successful. They're growing and they want to continue to grow and support the family. And somebody says, well, you should probably have an independent director on your board. Fundamentally, they understand this. Yeah, it's a big hurdle for them, a lot of family businesses to, to take, isn't it? Just to sort of let go of the reins in their mind. Well, they may well, not even not. understand what it is in my experience either. You know, they don't yeah. understand what that means. Mm. Not just that, there's also, as you, Richard, you're quite right, letting go of the reins. There's no letting go of the reins. You're actually just supporting what you've got and support. You actually give them more control over the business and more control often over the family too. That's yeah. interesting, doesn't it? No, it's not quite like that. It's not about control. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's about the numbers. It's about the numbers. That's exactly right. No, it's actually providing a better framework of doing it. But you're quite right. It's a huge hurdle. Where do you even start? Often they understand they haven't got the right documentation or what they, that they think they might have to have or wouldn't even know how a board should be run. And mm. where do you even find people who would be interested in coming in and not cause damage but actually embrace the culture and the values of that family and enhance it? So where do you actually – how do you go about all of this? And this is where Amplify Governance comes in. We, we sit down with families. We give them some Encouragement, not encouragement, we actually just make them understand that where they're at is actually not unique. Um, we've dealt with family businesses that are quite substantial and have been around for a very long time who wouldn't have really known how to put a board together, and that's quite okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's about talking them through what this journey might actually look like for them. It's about giving them comfort that it's not about creating a strict framework that's going to strangle them. It's about supporting what they're really good at, but putting a bit more good decision-making around that and something that can support the family and the business going forward in the, in the future and in the, in the long run 
so this is really what we're good at. We have empathy and compassion and we understand what it's all about. And we have an absolutely fantastic pool of directors available to us who understand family business. And that is an absolute key. There's no room for people who have an have a corporate approach, mm. who want to spend a lot of resources on replicating what's happening in the corporate sector at the ASX-listed level because it's inappropriate. It's about people as strategic thinkers who can help on the leadership front, who understand about appropriate governance and family business to come in and create a board that reflects the values and the culture of the owners um, and then take this forward over many years to come. But it takes patience takes compassion. You need to have a lot of respect and um, understand that it's not always going to be perfect. Or pull that's, out the hockey stick. Yeah. That. yeah. Hey, that's about all we've got time for today, Susanna. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. No, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And uh, listeners, don't forget to come to careersunplugged.com and uh, get Susanna's special gift for you. <laughs> Um, which will be fantastic. To all of you at home, in the car, wherever you are, thanks for joining us. We hope the insights provided by Susanna will help you on your journey. Make a point of uh, visiting careersunplugged.com, as I say, and pick up that free gift. This has been Careers Unplugged with Rich and Stu. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.